So anyway, uh, let's let's make the best of our time. Um, let's go ahead and turn to to Genesis. Uh, if you notice, we're doing reading rants in the car. Uh, that's my that's my quarantine office now. Uh, so reading rants in the car. That's what we'll do. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, reading rants in the car. Uh, good morning, Jason. How are you? Good to see you. Um, so yeah, I, 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 uh, I'm going to spend the next, um, for those of you who don't know, this is the reading rant. Uh, and, and if anybody asks, well, what is the reading rant? What, what is that? What, what, what's that all about? Well, it's where we spend half an hour, 20 to 30 minutes every morning reading through scripture. And then we spend uh, uh, another 20 to 30 minutes just ruminating over what the scriptures are speaking to us concerning that particular moment in that particular time. Um, for us, when we read, uh, often what happens is people read the Bible from a Bible study posture, which is great and all. But I want to encourage you, as we have done in the Read and Rant, is to read the scriptures from a meditational posture. When we read, we're going to ask ourselves three questions. We're going to ask ourselves, what is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning people? And what is God revealing concerning me? That's what we want to do here. Uh, and so that's that's our that's our goal today is to read, but then to be prayerful in our reading. Um, my passion is to see every believer read through the entire Bible. So we've read through the entire New Testament. Um, we did that in like 11 weeks, just spending 20, 20, 20 minutes a day. And now we are, um, we're going to now read uh, through, uh, we're going to read through the entire Old Testament. And so we've been reading through Genesis. We read uh, Genesis 11 through 13 last time. And now we're going to read Genesis 14. So if you can, um, turn your Bible there. Okay, turn your Bibles uh, there and um, <clears throat> Genesis 14, and I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. <sighs> Father, speak to us today. Lord, speak to us. Lord, we pray that uh, you be present Lord, that your Holy Spirit would reveal the truth of your word as we engage in it. Father, we pray for not just a revelation of knowledge, but Lord, an encounter with you. Uh, we pray, Lord, that this would reveal to us your heart, your, your desire, your passion, your mission, your will, your plan, your reign. I let it reveal to us, Lord, who we are in you and who you've called us to be and how you've called us to be with one another. And, and Father, I ask that you would reveal to us, Lord, the things within us that need to be changed, that need to be transformed, that need to be corrected, that needs, that's in need of conviction and and Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, guide us to your truth. For your word is 
truth. And we ask that in your name. We pray. Amen. Um, let's do it. Let's go right into it. Uh, Genesis chapter 14. And this is what it says. And it came to pass in the days of Emraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elasar, Chedorluamer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shenab, king of Adma, Shem, Shemem, Shemeber, king of Zeboam, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these joined together in the valley of Sedum, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Cheder Loamer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Cheder Loamer and the kings that were with him came and attacked Rephaim and Ashtaroth, Kernaim, and Zuzim in Ham, and Emim in Shavah. Kirathim, Kirathim, and the Hortes in the mountain of Seir, as far as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and attacked all the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who dwell in Hezon, Hezazon Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zoboim, the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Sidim against Cheder Loamer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of nations, Emraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elasar, four kings against five. The valley of Sidim was full of asphalt pits and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. The one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees and Mamre of the Amorite, brother of Eshcol, and brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. Now when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far back as Hobah which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods, as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shiva, Shava, which is the king's valley. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer, the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be the Abraham of God most high. Possessor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. 
and he gave them a tithe of all. Now the king of Sodom said to Abraham, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. So Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will take nothing that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abraham rich. Except only that the young men have eaten and a portion of the men who went with me, Anna, Eshkol, Mamre, let them take their portion. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in the house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me. Sorry, verse eight. He said, he said, verse eight. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, bring me a three year old heifer, a three year old female goat three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these to him and cut them in two and down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. When the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will be sorry, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they will come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, you shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went dark and it was dark that behold, there appearing a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those two pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. Chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, 
had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. Then Abram heeded the word, sorry, heeded the voice of Sarai. Hmm. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, <clears throat> and gave her to her husband to be his wife after Abram had dealt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went to Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge you between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way of Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Um, I'll read, <clears throat> I'll read, uh, I'll read one more chapter. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared, you know, no, I'll, I'll stop here. I'll stop here. I just realized it's 830, 831. Um, i for a few minutes. I just want to, um, leave with some thoughts. Father, we just ask that you would speak to us. Uh, Lord, speak to us clearly today. Um, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from you. Lord. We say that in your name. We pray. Amen. And amen. Hey, family. So good to see you all. Um, so good to see you all. God is, uh, he's speaking all the time. <laughs> um, he, he's always, God is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? I, I say that because sometimes when we don't see God or don't sense his presence, when we 
when we doubt his presence. Thank you so much. Thank you. Keep me in prayer um, because I'm still recovering. Sometimes when we when we when we doubt uh, his presence or doubt his voice, we are. In essence, are prohibited from hearing from him. Or even encountering and experiencing him. And yet, even though we don't hear him, it doesn't mean he's not speaking. And even if we don't sense his presence, it doesn't mean he isn't there. Uh, God doesn't need you to confirm his presence in order for him to be present. (laughs) He's just present. God doesn't need you to hear him in order for him to be speaking. He's speaking. And so as I'm reading this scripture, I, uh, I, I'm hearing the Lord speak. And it's almost as if there is a confirmation that's happening in my spirit of what the Lord has been speaking to me over the past week or so. Um, And so all I'm saying to you is, is as I'm reading through the word, as I'm reading through the scriptures, God will make it very, very clear and plain to you. This is for me, from me to you that reading the word of God, if you posture yourself from a devotional posture, a meditational posture. The things you'll hear where you go, this is a confirmation to my spirit. Yes, God is saying something very specific to me in this moment. And God is really speaking into my present reality, into my present moment. I need this in my life right now. I need to hear this right now. And so uh, I say that just to tell you that the power of reading God's word from a uh, a meditational posture, the power of it is that two people can read the same thing. And yet two people can get two different revelations concerning their lives. Um, in the same way, two people can hear the same sermon and two people get two completely different words of conviction for the intellectual reader that's frustrating why are we both getting different things because God is a person his word is living exactly Daniel it's a living and active and so as I'm reading this the only reason I'm saying this is because I'm, I'm sharing with you what the Lord is speaking into me today especially during this COVID time where I'm recovering and what he's encouraging me with in this season. But God could be saying something completely different to you. That's all I'm saying. God could be speaking something very specific to you. I say that because I also don't want this time that we spend together to be a time where we're overly dependent on hearing what Pastor Isaac's revelation is. Oh, and this is a word of conviction that I have as, as I've been just meditating and 
as I'm reading. That it can't just simply be Pastor Isaac's revelation of the word. The purpose of our reading rant, the purpose of us coming together is so that you guys can see how I do it so that you can do it. Does that make sense? And so I'm showing you this is what it means to just read through through a couple chapters at a time. And upon reading those few chapters, you get this this powerful, transformative revelation. Here's what I'm hoping for. What I'm hoping is happening. And I, I actually, I don't really have to hope it. I believe it, actually. What I believe is actually happening is that for those of you who have been committing with me, have been committing to the reading of the word, have been committing to uh, uh, this time and, you know, just spending 20, 30 minutes a day, that something has transformed in you. And you can't fully understand it. You can't fully make sense of it. But something has transformed in you. Like all of a sudden, you begin to see your desires changing. All of a sudden, you begin to see your heart towards people changing. All of a sudden, you're beginning to see like things change in you. That's my prayer. Because for a lot of people, I'm sorry if I rant a little bit. A lot of people, they, they're trying to become like God without spending time with him. Or they want to be transformed by the message of his gospel, but they don't really spend time in their word. Some of the people who know the gospel the most are the people who don't actually change. Knowing the Bible does not save, sorry, knowing the gospel doesn't save you. Knowing the Bible and what it says doesn't save you either. Um, some people think that salvation is, well, um, because I know Jesus, I'm saved. No, knowing Jesus doesn't save you. Knowing Jesus does. Let me say that one more time. Knowing Jesus, knowing who Jesus is doesn't save you. The devil knows who Jesus is. No, knowing God, knowing that God exists doesn't save you. The devil knows God exists. The demons know God exists. So knowing that God exists doesn't save anybody. Hey, do you believe in Jesus? <laughs> I, I, I love that because when people say believing in Jesus, and, and it's, that's probably one of the reasons why the vernacular matters. One of the reasons why the vernacular matters. The reasons why one of the reasons why the vernacular matters is because for a lot of people, they'll ask the question, do you believe in Jesus? And they think that believing in Jesus is what saves them. Believing in Jesus doesn't save you. Believing on Jesus does. Because the devil believes in Jesus. The demons believe in Jesus. The question is, do you believe on Jesus? Are you are you are you, are you on the rock? On Christ, a solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking stand. Are you are you believing on Jesus, not in Jesus? <laughs> so Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you will be saved. The word is actually in that text is on, not in. So I'm saying this to say this to you is as we read this word, Jesus has to be... It comes alive in you. There's something that changes in you. And for a lot of us, 
who have been transformed by the message of the gospel, most of us can say anything that we've done, okay, has nothing to do with what we've done. God arrested us and brought us into relationship with him. So that's all to say this, that I pray that this time that you're spending is actually transforming you. And maybe I'm unlocking the secret code. (laughs) Maybe I'm unlocking the secret code that when you just read his word, I mean, just reading through the word, that even though you may not understand everything that you've read, just reading through his word alone is transforming you. Just reading through his word alone is changing your life. Just reading. Like, I, I hope that, that that's what we get out of this. Because if what you get out of this is, man, Pastor Isaac gave some good teaching about the Elohim. I think we were talking yesterday about the Elohim, right? He gave some good teaching yesterday about the Elohim. Why does that matter if it doesn't, if your life isn't transformed? You know, Pastor Isaac, man, he was giving some good teaching. I was learning about El Elyon and how El Elyon is the highest among the Elohim. Wow. This is such deep information and deep insight and all that stuff is good. Okay, great. What's the point? If our lives aren't being transformed. Are you catching what I'm saying? Or, man, I'm understanding the Imago Dei, the doctrine in which we have been made in the image of God. What's the point? Right? What's the point if you're not being transformed? So all I'm saying to you is, I want to make sure you guys understand this. There's a, there is a place for Bible study. Don't get it twisted. Um, there is a place for Bible study. And like I said before, I've thought about it. I'm praying about where we put it in. But I have, and I, I have to, I, let me emphasize this, even at my church right now, um, we used to, when I first started ministry, if you just let me talk for a little bit, and then I'm going to share what, what the Lord is speaking to me on this text. Um, when I first uh, started ministry, started a Bible study, and this was what, six years ago now, six, seven years ago start a Bible study. And I remember we started with maybe like three or four people. And then all of a sudden there was like 60, 70 people showing up to this Bible study and people were, you know, they, they they're like, man, I've never read the Bible like this. I can't believe this. Like, where are you getting this from? And, and I remember people just being just, I, I thought I was doing an incredible job. Like I really did. I thought I was good. And this is just me being just, because I, I want you guys to understand why I have this posture. I, I, I'm, I'm speaking like this because I need you to understand why I approach ministry the way I do. Because a lot of people don't. They don't understand why I approach ministry this way. My ministry today is a product of what I would call my ministry failures. Um, my mini- I, I call them my ministry failures. For two years, I spoke and I taught. And I mean, I was teaching, you know, I was going as deep as you can go. I was breaking things down and helping people understand books of the Bible and helping people understand 
and people started to show up. And all of a sudden I had a ministry in my hands. I didn't even have a plan for a ministry. I just, I was just teaching. I was just saying, you know, they sit down and it went from like six people to now, you know, a hundred people showing up. And I was like, yo, this is, man, this is lit. This is crazy. Like people actually care about what I think. <laughs> and, and people actually want to know these things. This is amazing. And I did that for two years. I did that for two years. But then something odd, I started to observe something odd is while I was spending two years every week teaching the scripture, teaching the scripture, teaching the scripture, nobody was actually changing. Like people weren't actually changing or transforming. Like no one was. And I was sitting there. And I'm like, hold on a second. These people are still living in sin. Wait a second. They're still prideful. Hold on. They, they, they don't, they're not looking or acting like Jesus. Um, and I just, I remember about after about two years going into the third year of doing Bible study. Now we've got. You know, we've got a crowd. We had a crowd. And yet, people were just impressed by the depth of the information. And yet, they were just the same people. They just knew more Bible. And then I started realizing, wait, hold on a second. I've got more people in my ministry and in my church. But these people don't know the Bible. They just know what I know and they come and they take these notes and they're like, wow, this is so good. And they took all these notes. And then after they took all the notes, they would go home and leave it right where it was. Well, see you next week so I can take some more notes. And I began to realize that the most important part of this thing, the most important part was missing is I was informing, but people were not transforming. I was informing people about scripture, but I was not imparting the spirit of grace. People weren't being transformed by the gospel. They were simply being informed by the scripture. And so I, and at that time I was, man, I was so profoundly depressed. I, I actually, like I fell into a mini depression because I went, oh, these people, they just love my teaching, but they don't know Jesus. I'm failing. And I've always said this to God. I've always said this to God. And, I, and even my time that I spend with him, I've always said this. I said, I said, God, if if I leave and people love me more than you, Jesus, like if people love me more than they love you, if people care about what I have to say more than spending time with you, if people are more interested in what I have to say about the Bible than spending time in the word themselves, man, Lord, you can take me out of this because I'm failing you. I, I would, I'm failing, I'm failing God and I'm failing 
his church. If people are more interested in my teaching and my instruction than in spending time with him. And so for that reason, I have, I, I had a deep trepidation for ministry because I felt like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, uh, I'm a ministry failure. I'm a ministry failure. I felt, I felt that way. This is like four years ago, four or five years ago. I felt like a ministry failure. I said, man, I'm failing the church and I'm failing Christ because these people, they love me at my teaching, but they don't love Jesus. Now evangelism, that's a whole different thing. I think somebody was saying like, you can drop the seed. I'm not disappointed in that. I'm, I'm not, I, I, I spend a lot of time with atheists and agnostics and I got some that are good friends of mine, good friends of mine. Um, um, and, and, they still, they don't believe it. We still have lunch. We talk and, and, um, you know, and, and I, I don't get frustrated about that. I, I, I don't get frustrated about that. I get more frustrated with Christians who have faith in Jesus. And yet they're not being transformed by the, the, the gospel. So all I'm saying to you, family, all I'm saying to you, family is the reason why is I learned something. And what I learned, what I learned is that when you actually spend time in him, and that's what the word helps us do. When you actually spend time in him, when you actually spend time with him, in him, that's when you, that's when you transform. I'm actually no better. You know, I have. People who come to me and they sit down, they, man, they'll go through all the sins that they've committed. They'll still tell me, pastor, this is what I did last week. I'm a horrible person, this and this and that. And my response to them, my response to them is, you're no different than me. I, I'm no different than you. I, I, I'm, yeah, but pastor, you, you don't go around sleeping with a bunch of different women and and you're not dealing with this addiction and that addiction and these temptations, I'm like, brother. I'm a human being. Maybe I don't go around. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't sleep around. I've been. I'm, I'm a husband of one wife. I. I don't do anything up anything close or remotely close to that. It doesn't mean I don't have the capacity to do that. It doesn't mean I don't have the propensity to do that. Uh oh, my Facebook group died. Ooh. Oh, snap. I should have put my thing on. Um, it doesn't mean I don't have the capacity to do it. It doesn't mean I don't have the propensity to, to sin. The only difference between me and I always say this to every person who comes to me with all this guilt and all this shame and, you know, I'm just not like you, pastor. I, I just can't. And this is my, this is what I say to them. The difference between me and you. The difference between me and you is that I've committed to spending time in the Lord. That's it. That's it. Like I've committed to spending more time in him. That's it. Because the time that I spend in him is what actually transforms me. The time that I spend in him is what actually changes me. The time that I spend in him is what actually uh, 
makes me and conforms me to his image. Hold on one second, guys. It's like some high-pitched sound. Oh, okay, that was coming from... Oh, I see what's happening. Hold on a second. Sorry about that. Let me see something here. <clears throat> um, actually, I'll just turn it off. Do you guys hear that high pitched sound? That's just weird. Turn the Bluetooth off. Yeah, that's what I do. That's weird. Well, yeah, okay. You guys can hear. That's weird. That's doing that. Let me see something here. Yeah, that's what I thought at first, but I turned I turned it off. Let me see. Let's see here. Is that better, guys? No? No, it's not. I can hear it. This is weird. Okay. Can you guys... You guys... Are you guys good? We're good now? There we go. All right. Hopefully that works. Um, yeah. So, so that's all to say, guys, is the importance of, um, the importance of transformation, the importance of being transformed, not, not being informed. So when we're doing our read and rants, can't emphasize this enough. When we're doing our read and rants, it's important. It's profoundly important that we posture ourselves in a way to receive from God that you're learning for yourself. I love sharing whatever insight I have. I love it. I love it. Um, but I want you. Uh, oh, I just got a message from uh, some guys on the team. Hold on a second. Um that they lost me. <laughs> um, my, my Facebook group says that they lost me. I'm so sorry. Oh, you know what I can do? I can plug this in. I got it. Give me one second, fam. Clyde hasn't shared my thoughts yet. I'm ranting today for sure. Okay, here we go. I forgot I have a battery backup. Let's go ahead and put that to use. So, yes, great. I'm glad you said that. Now, we must study to show ourselves approved. Um, that, that's something that, that I believe is so critical. Um, it's a travesty, I, th I believe, especially for ministers of the gospel um, who don't spend their time to really study the word um, and to read the word. And, and I think the other, the other travesty is that 
and no knock on reading other theologians. I, I spend, I spend, listen, I, part of the reason why I, I, I spend a time reading other books, uh, on the scriptures is because I need them to know. Um, I need to know what everybody else is reading. <laughs> I need to know what everybody else is reading. Uh, hold on. Let me put this Facebook live back on here. Boom. Boom. Okay. We'll fix this up later. Um, uh, sorry, fam. So sorry, family. Uh, sorry about that family. Um, yeah. So by the way, guys, if you ever miss a read and rant, um, you ever miss anything, um, you miss a reading in the morning and you miss the rant. We have our Facebook group. It's called the font everywhere, the font everywhere. So you can catch it. You can catch it there. Um, you can catch the replays. We also have, we, we also have a community there, um, that you can connect with as well. People who are praying for each other, caring for each other, uh, people who are sharing their, their testimonies. And man, let me tell you something. Oh man. Um, there's just some incredible stories of what God is doing in the season. I'm truly believing in revival. I'm believing that the Lord is moving powerfully, uh, in this season. And so, uh, I want to encourage you guys. Hey, okay. I got my Facebook fan back on. Sorry about that guys. Uh, the phone died. <laughs> the devil was a liar, right? <laughs> or I could have just charged my phone. Um, we talked about this yesterday, right? We give the, de we, we give the devil way too much credit. Anyway, let me go ahead and share some thoughts with you guys as we're reading through this. We talked about yesterday the images of God uh, that we uh, we are failed images of God. Like we are failed images of God. Um, human beings were God's imagers on earth and the Elohim are God's imagers in the realm of the spirit, um, in the invisible, unseen realm. And so God, who is spirit, um, who exists in the unseen, doesn't even exercise his authority in the unseen without doing it through. And he chooses to do that through his counsel, through his divine counsel. That's the Elohim. And so and so God is uh, uh, he he rules in both dimensions. He rules in the realm of the spirit and he rules in uh, the physical realm, particularly speaking on earth through human beings. And yet we who were called to be his representatives fail and we've fallen short. This is where the story shifts. The story shifts here. Uh, we're beginning to see now that God who first called Noah, Noah, who fulfilled uh, the calling of God by uh, instituting the uh, replenishing of the earth, Noah still uh, falls short. And we see that Noah's story doesn't end beautifully. It doesn't end well. Um, it starts off well, but doesn't end well. But Noah was known to be, he ended up not being that. Again, this is just part of, uh, we talked about this, so I'm not going to spend time on it. And then we see the narrative shift. Abram, I want to say this before I even get into that. I want you to look at Genesis 12 for a second. 
And in Genesis 12, sorry, not Genesis 12, Genesis 11. And we talked about this yesterday, but I wanted to share this so you can see where I want to go with you today. As the Lord has been speaking to me and convicting me. It says in verse 31, uh, Terah. Terah is, um, in verse 26, it tells us that Terah is Abram's father. Terah, in verse 27, begot Abraham, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. Haran is Lot's um, father. Haran is Abraham's brother. So Lot is essentially uh, Abram's nephew. Uh, It says, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land, in the native land Ur of the Chaldeans. Okay, this this is a pagan land. Okay, Um, Ur is Ur. Okay, we can you can study about Ur. You can study the Chaldeans. These are um, these people are different. (laughs) These people are different. And Abraham, Abram, uh, his wife is Sarai. Sarai uh, is barren. Then it says that Terah, verse 31, catch this, please. Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and the daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and went out with them from Ur to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. They came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. It's, this is one of the, uh, sorry if I go back to this because I didn't get to go to this yesterday, but it was something that, and then you're going to see how it leads to what I want to talk to today. The travesty in this text, the travesty in this scripture, the travesty is that when we, we talk about Abram, for those of you who don't know Abram, we're going to read that next tomorrow. Actually, we're going to see that Abram becomes Abraham, right? The father of many nations. His name is changed to Abraham. And, and, uh, this is the man who's been given the promise. That's what we know Abram as. He's been given the promise. He got the promise. He got the promise to go to the promised land. He got the promise to to father many nations. This is the man of the promise. The man of the promise. The man of the promise. Man of the promise. But that's not what the Bible tells us. He's not the one who was given the promise. (laughs) Abram is not the one who was given the promise. Proof? Read it right there. The land in Canaan, this land that God was calling Abram to to go, go to the land of Canaan, and there you will father many nations. That didn't that's not what that's not what we read here. Take a look. Verse 31 again. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and went out 
with them from Ur to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. Who got the revelation to go to Canaan? Was it Abram? Or was it Terah? Ah, look at this. It's Terah. Terah, Abram's father, was the one who got the revelation to leave Ur and to go to Canaan. It wasn't Abram. Are you, are you guys reading what I'm reading? I want to make sure we're reading the same Bible here. <laughs> it wasn't Abram. Abram didn't get the revelation. It was Terah that did. It was Terah that got the revelation. Are y'all catching me? Terah gets the revelation. Terah was the one that got up. Terah is the one that left. Terah is the one that took Abraham. Sorry, well, he's not Abraham yet. Terah is the one that took Abram, took Lot, took Sarai. Terah is the one that, 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 that picked them up and left Ur. We always present the story of Abraham as the one that left Ur. He got up and he left because he had the revelation and the promise. Abram didn't have it. Tara did. Tara is the one that got the revelation. Tara is the one that got um, the information. Tara is the one that had the conviction to get up and to go. Ah, but here's the travesty. The travesty is in, in, in that same verse to go. So, so he went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. One day I'll preach a word on this. We're in Genesis 11. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. They went to a stop. And instead they made a temporary place, a permanent place. When he got to Haran, one of the saddest scriptures one of the saddest scriptures they came to Haran and dwelt there they came to Haran and dwelt there they went to a private place sorry a temporary place and made it a permanent place And the scriptures tell us that Terah died in Haran. Terah was promised Canaan. But he died in Haran. Because he made Haran his permanent place. Family, my question for you is this. Are you making temporary situations your permanent places? Are you making temporal statuses permanent statuses? Are you taking what should be temporary and making it permanent? 
You're dating him, but you're treating him like a husband. You're making something temporal permanent. You know you got to move out of there, but now you've made it a permanent situation. When it was a temporary situation. Hmm. Are you, are you, are you taking temporal things? That job was supposed to be just a temporary job because you had lost the other job and you just need something in between. You just need something in between to, 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 to keep you going. But now it's been three years. Hmm. Are you, are you, are you <laughs> that girl that you were just helping? You were just helping her and it was just temporary. We're just friends and there's really nothing there. But now she's become a permanent situation. Hmm. To say the graves in the cemeteries are full of people with potentials that were never realized. Because many people who were promised Canaan stayed in Haran. Many people who were promised Canaan, the promised land. Haran's the one that came up with the idea Quran was the one that said, Abram, Lot, Sarai, let's go. We're going to Canaan. That wasn't Abram's idea. <laughs> the scriptures tell us that it was Quran's idea. And yet Haran dwelt, sorry, not Haran, Terah's idea. And Tara dwelt in Haran. Tara dwelt in Haran. Are we making permanent, temporary situations? And 32 is just sad. So the days of Tara, his, his story's over. He's done. So the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. His story's over. His story's done. That's it for him. He went to Haran, got comfortable, and stayed there. Nothing else to say about him. Yet he was the one with the revelation, not Abram. And what's incredible about the story is when you get to Genesis 12. Watch this now. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those, him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God waited for Haran to die. before he can transfer the promise. He, he waited for, he waited for Terah to die before he could transfer the promise to Abram. 
Abram. He goes to Abram right after Terah dies and says to him, now get out of your country. Get out of your country. Um, leave your family. Leave your father's house. Go. Because Terah couldn't do it. So I'm going to give it to you. You know, the beautiful thing about the bloodline is that there's some promises that God had on your mother that didn't come into fruition. That God is transferring to you. There's some promises that God had on your father that didn't come to fruition and God is transferring it over to you. There are promises that God gives. It's in the bloodline. And what God is doing is, is he's saying, ah, when they, when, when you are loosed from that chain, from the chain of expectation, from the chain of, of, of unhealthy, I call it unhealthy obedience, unhealthy allegiance for many of us is the unhealthy allegiance that we have to our family that has kept us from experiencing and encountering the promise of God. Tara had to die. And one can surmise this, that Terah had to die because Abram would have never left Terah. If Terah lived 500 years, Abram may have died in Haran with Terah. Ah, but once Terah died, Abram has been freed from having to fulfill and to live out the expectations of his father. And now he's, he's been given the liberality to leave his father's house. Some of us, we don't get to have the privilege of waiting for our parents to die. The question is, is will we step out and go where God is calling us to go and to do what God is calling us to do? Because there's a promise that God placed on your father or your mother or your grandfather or your grandmother that God is waiting for you, but you've got to get up and go. You have to get up and do it. We give all this, we give all this credit to Abram. But Abram has a, and mind you, we're, we're, we're going to see how the story works itself out. But Abram is, there's nothing special about Abram other than he just said yes. He just got up. He left. Verse four, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. 75 years old. When he departed from Haran, Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's sons, and all their possessions and the people whom they acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. This was not Abram's idea. This was not Abram's idea. This was Terah's idea. And now Abram is doing what Terah could not. Terah stopped along the way. The question is, are you making permanent situations out of private circumstances? Why am I bringing this up? Why am I bringing this up? 
Because when Abram gets to Canaan, Abram and Lot go their own ways. Abram and Lot go their own ways. And yet Lot, who has not yet arrived, they have not arrived yet. They're, they're there. They're almost there. But they have not arrived yet. And yet Lot is beginning to make permanent what is temporary. Uh, these lands that he's gotten to, are, you're not there yet. You have not arrived, Lot. <laughs> um, Abram and Lot were both wealthy men. They had their servants and their livestock. If God called them to this new land, then why is it that the land could not sustain them? Unless they're not on the right land yet. They haven't arrived yet. I love how when they get there, they begin to realize that we've got to separate. We've got to separate. Anyway, I, I wanted to bring up that point. Because in verse 6 in Genesis 13, it says, Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. <sighs> Permanent places in temporary situations. You're not there yet. For a lot of us, we have made our temporary places permanent situations. That's exactly right. Something that can't sustain you is temporary. If it can't sustain you and can't sustain your family, it's temporary. It's temporary. If there's no room for you and your children, it's temporary. So stop making permanent, temporary situations. And what happens is, is that because we're not looking to go to where Canaan is, Canaan is the land of the promise. It's the promised land. The Lord is speaking to me, even as I am, I'm sharing it with you. Did you get so comfortable not realizing you weren't meant to stay here? And sometimes what we do is we live in a life of perpetual temporality. Perpetual. We live in perpetual temporality. What do you mean by that, Pastor? What I mean by that is, is that we will suck a temporary situation dry until it dies. And then we move on to the next temporary situation and we wonder why we can't find our footing and why we live spiritually nomadic lives. We'll go from one church, suck that church dry, then go to the next one, suck it dry, then go to the next one and suck it dry. We go to one relationship, suck him dry. We go to the next one, suck him dry. We go to the next relationship, suck her dry. We take everything from them, their joy, their peace, their patience, their kindness, their goodness, their faithfulness, both become bitter because we're going from temporary place to temporary place. We live spiritually nomadic lives. 
because we never sought the promise. We're just looking to make it and survive today. Woo. Survival is the greatest killer of purpose. It's great. It's, it's a destroyer of purpose. It's a destroyer of purpose. The moment that you just seek to survive. Just survive. I mean, I'm just trying to make it through the day. Just know that you're choosing for your purpose to die. Oh, survival. I'm sorry. I'm going to just keep, I'm working into this family. I'm going to keep working on this because this is where the Lord is leading me today. And I'm just going to, I'm going to keep beating this in. The moment you continue to seek, man, I just need to make it through this month. You understand trying to make it through this month kills eternity. Trying to make it through just, man, if I can just, Man, if our if our relationship can just make it through the next month, you understand now you're not focused on where you're going anymore. You're focused on just staying where you are. Purpose killers. And yet something deep down inside tells you, you know, deep down inside, you know it. You know, this thing's not going to last. You know it. You know, it's not going to work. You know, you know, you know, stop it. You know, you know, this job ain't going to work. You know, you, you know, this ain't it. You know, he ain't it. You know, you know, you know, stop it. You know, she ain't it. You know, you know, stop it. You know, you know, that church ain't it. You know, you know. You know. So you stay in Haran. Please, please, family, please, 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 family, please understand this. Abram only said yes. Abram stepped out, but Terah was the one that got the revelation first. Abram was not the first to get it. His father did. And what I'm believing and what I'm praying for is that we do not live under the same curse as our parents, as the ones before us. You are not your mother. You are not your father. The things that were promised to your parents, that the reason why a lot of what God promised to your parents <laughs> and they did not accomplish and they did not see was because they dwelt in Haran. That's all it is. They just dwelt in Haran. Haran is easy. Haran gets the bills paid. Haran takes away all that stress. You know, Haran, Haran, we don't got to move anymore. We don't have to do any of that. Haran kept your mother from getting married. Haran kept your father from staying with your mother. Haran, it's Haran, Haran did that. Haran kept your father from graduating, kept your mother from graduating, kept them from getting that certification, kept them from getting that degree. Haran kept them from 
stepping into where God was really calling them. Haran kept your father's ministry in, in this flux. Haran. Haran. And yet, if we can be honest, if we can be honest, family, we are all tempted to stay in Haran. We're all tempted. If we can be honest, we're all tempted. We're all tempted to stay because it's easy here. <sighs> yes, Lord. It's easy here. This is a word of conviction. Um, it's, not, it's not just for you. It's for me. <laughs> it's a word of conviction. Because I remember, uh, for anybody who knows, I, I left, I left earth when I left my, uh, career in economics, I left, I left everything to go into ministry, left everything, everything, uh, left this, you know, six figure job left. incredible opportunities left status I left all of it the Lord called me to ministry and I remember when I left all of it and I want to share this because I want you to understand where I'm coming from fam when I left all of it, we lost everything. My wife uh, was also a, a mid-level executive working for um, Office Depot. And she was working Office Depot corporate. And um, we're do, both doing fairly well for ourselves. And... I wrestled with God about ministry. I didn't want to leave my comfortable situation, but I said, yes, I said yes to God. I said yes to God about ministry concerning ministry. And so I left my job. When I left my job, our lives completely fell apart. Everything. We lost everything. We're moving out of our apartment. <clears throat> Ended up falling into a fraudulent deal. We had to walk out of that. Because we were downgrading. We were going to move to the hood. Just to simplify our lives a little bit. While we get on our feet for ministry. I ended up in at my father's house. Staying in the guest room. With our three year old son. In a pack and play. In the corner. We put all our stuff in the storage the day before we had to move. I found out we weren't going to be moving to an apartment the day before we were leaving our prior apartment in downtown Fort Lauderdale. You know, we were leaving the fancy life. <laughs> and and um, 
And so we left. I'm at my father's house. And the day we moved in to my father's house, because, you know, we're like, okay, we'll find another place to stay. The wife's going to take care of things. And uh, my wife lost her job. She lost her job. I'm jobless. She's jobless. Two days later, we find out that she's pregnant. So we're both jobless now. We're, we're, we're at my father's house. We're homeless. We're jobless. We're homeless. Jobless, homeless, and now pregnant. And then the next week, Vanessa's car, her Audi, caught fire. Total loss. finally found a place that we could move into. I had to pay six months rent ahead of time because we were both unemployed. We moved into an apartment in the hood. <laughs> and it's one of the most difficult seasons in our marriage, in our family. We depleted our entire savings. We spent three years there while I was just figuring out where the Lord was leading me next in ministry. And, and, um, it was a hard time. It was a hard time. We lost everything in three years. We, we spent, we lost our entire savings. We depleted our entire savings, our, we were already starting to tap into our retirement money. We started pulling out emergency funds. And then once we maxed that out, uh, the, the emergency uh, uh, withdrawals from our 401ks. And then when we maxed that out and we couldn't withdraw anymore, the eviction letters started coming in. And the power got cut off and now we've got no power and no water in the house. And, and here we are. I say all this to say this, um, the, the last three years were incredibly, those three years were incredibly, incredibly difficult. You know, finding a place to send my wife and kids to go to, to go take a shower. Incredibly difficult. Um, I remember people who were close to me who said to me, this is ridiculous, Isaac. You have a PhD. And you're living like this. What are you doing? What are you doing? You can see why I'm sharing this with you, because I want you to see what the Lord is really speaking into me about this morning. It's like, Isaac, what are you doing? People were calling me a failure. They said I lost it. I went over the edge. Oh. 
I remember being at food lines. People just didn't know that part. Um, food lines. We were in line looking to see if we can get assistance to get our power, just to get electricity in the house. We knew every government assistance program that existed. Uh, we needed food stamps. We needed whatever we could get just, just to make it, just to make it. It was a humbling, a humbling time. When we launched the ministry, we had no money left. When we launched the font, I remember going, I don't know what's going to happen. Like I, you know, and my wife, she's a soldier. She's a soldier. We just believed in God. We trusted him. This is where he was calling us. This is what was promised to us. This is where he wanted us to be, where he wanted us to go. And so we were going to go. We were going to do it. And I, I believe it was uh, about eight months ago that these doors started opening in ministry. I started traveling. Uh, I'm preaching at some of the largest stages in the world. I, I have a funny story. I preached at the Jackie Gleason Theater. It's 5,000 seat event. And I was one of the key speakers at the event. I remember people or people don't know is I'm speaking at an event. There was about 5,000 people in attendance. I was one of the key speakers. And yet I had to take the bus to get there. It was a two and a half hour ride to get there because I couldn't afford taxi or Uber or anything like that. And I remember getting there. And then after speaking, I remember quickly leaving and finding a place in downtown Miami where I could just hang for a little bit because I didn't want anyone to see me at the bus stop. <laughs> I didn't want anybody to see, hey, wasn't that the keynote speaker? Wasn't the keynote? What is he doing at the bus stop? I, I, I couldn't let that happen. So I just I just went to like, you know, a McDonald's down the street. I just hung there for a couple of hours, waited for like everyone to leave the event um, uh, before I got on the bus to go home. It was a two hour ride, two and a half hour ride going back. I say this to say that I I have not yet arrived. I haven't. Um, you know, one of the things that I desire is a home for my family. We are not there. Now I got another one on the way. I have not yet arrived. And yet as I'm reading the scripture, I'm being convicted of what motivates me from day to day. It's, it's God really just addressing my heart and saying to me, Isaac, I need the same boldness from you. Are you going to trust me and keep going? Or are you going to stay here? Because right now, I would say for the first time in my life, this is the first time, first time in my marriage since 2006. <laughs> no, maybe eh, 2000. I'll say 2000, 2011. For the first time in my marriage since 2011, have we not been worried about how we're going to pay rent? Or how we're going to pay 
the utilities or the water or the first time. And it's easy to be here and say, okay, let's just breathe a little. Let's just breathe a little. Uh, yeah, let's just, let's just breathe. Cause it, it just feels good to just not have to stress, you know, not have to worry about what's going to happen next week. You know, people see you smiling and ministry. They see you praying for them. They see you, you know, but they don't know what you deal with when you get home. There were times where we were, I would be preaching and then I would pray for people. We would actually go out and feed the homeless. My wife and I can tell you that we would go out, we would feed the homeless and yet we'd get home and we don't have, we don't even have power in our house. We don't have electricity and we just spend as much time out of the house as we can. So that way, <laughs> when I get home, we can just go straight to sleep. We had gallons of water just lined up. We would go around looking for places where we could fill up gallons of water. We have just gallons of water just lined up. We'd flush the bathroom with gallons of water. We would uh, shower with gallons of water. People don't know that. Like this is, this was, and this is after we'd preach on Sunday, we'd go home. People would be like, hey, can we come over? We used to just not invite people over because we didn't want people to see our condition in our state. But everybody assumes, oh, we, you guys are doing great. You have a ministry. Things are moving. And yet now that I find myself here, where for the first time, we haven't had to pay for, like we, we're not worried about rent. We're not worried about the water bill. For the first time, I can just set automatic payments on things. We don't. We don't have a lot of money. We're not. Not even close. We're not even close to that. But just the fact that we can just pay our bills, and I don't have to worry about that. It's so. It's such a. It's such a beautiful thing. But then now that I'm here, God's like, you know, this is Haran, right? What God is speaking to me about is that this is Haran. Don't dwell here. You have not arrived. And there's something in our spirit, if we can admit it, something deep down inside where we go, we go, yes, God, but God, I, I really don't want to keep going through this, Lord. Like, I, I don't want to have to, oh man, we're like, I'm finally comfortable. Like, can I just stay here? Can I just stay here? Can we just enjoy this rhythm and just enjoy this comfort and enjoy just, can we just enjoy this, God? God, I've been literally. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know what's going on in my spirit right now. As I'm, I'm, I'm even sharing that with you. Is God? Have I not done enough? Like, like I'm, I'm, Lord. I'm. Can I just be comfortable for for at least, you know? Can, can I? Can I get? Can I get a year or so? Can I get two years of comfort? Can I? Can you just give that to me, please? 
Like, can you just... <laughs> can you... Because I, I don't I don't want... I, I, I don't I, I don't want to go back to those lines. I don't I don't want to have to stress and I don't want to have to to. And you know, what he's saying he's saying you've made this about you. When up to this point, if you just had allowed me to do it. You might not have been as stressed as you were. And what the Lord is convicting me of is if I pitch my tent here, it's going to become my permanent dwelling place. It's comfortable, but it's not the promise. Tara died in Haran. He was comfortable, but he didn't fulfill the promise. No one talks about Tara. Everyone knows Abraham. Ah. Thank you so much, Adrian. I'm I'm encouraged by that. I'm so encouraged by that. Oh. The Lord is telling me that I gotta, I gotta get ready to move again. And everything in me says, but God, I've had, I've had, you know, this last five, six months of just, ah, it just feels good to breathe. (laughs) And the Lord is like, this is not. This is not the promised land. And and what the Lord is saying is he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to revival, to lead and usher revival. So forget your comfort. You're going to need to get up again and you're going to need to keep moving. So family, this message is for me as much as it is for you. Don't stay in Iran. Don't stay in Iran. Haran is comfortable, but Haran wasn't the promise. Because Abraham got up. Because he got up. Because he took his family and actually got up and left Haran. Abram was the one that fulfilled the promise. I want to leave you with one thought. I'll give you one teaching point, and this will be another Bible study. I'm just I'm just going to throw a nugget at you, and uh, um, 
and then I'll let you work it out. In Genesis 14, verse 18, it says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. He goes and he gets Lot, he delivers Lot, all that good stuff. And then in 14 and then in 15, things begin to shift. Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Salem, the king of Salem. When we read about Melchizedek, uh, for many people, they, uh, they think of a historical figure. Uh, they think of, you know, uh, they think of a, a king of a nation or country. They think of a, uh, I don't know, uh, a political figure. Abram encounters, and you guys may have seen that, that term Melchizedek. And I know there's going to be, uh, uh, we're, we're eventually we'll do a, <laughs> we'll do a Bible study. I keep saying we'll do a Bible study on it. Um, but I will say this, and I'll submit this to you that Salem, um, was not exactly a location. Uh, Salem was a state of being. Uh, if you go and find, if you go to look for Salem, you won't find Salem. Uh, you won't find Salem on a map. Even then you, you're not going to find Salem. In Genesis 14, it says in Melchizedek, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the most high God. Oh. There's so much debate on this scripture. Oh, again, the Hebrews don't debate these things. We do. Ah. Psalm 76 says to us and teaches us what Salem is. Psalm 76 tells us that Salem is the tabernacle of God. If anybody knows what a tabernacle is, a tabernacle is the place in which the manifest presence of God is emanated or revealed. So Salem is the very presence of God. It's the tabernacle, which is why we know Salem as peace. And so Salem being the tabernacle of God 
He is the king of Salem. And he's a priest. He's a priest in that verse, right? Look at this first word. Um, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest of the most high God. So we understand that Salem represents the presence of God in which Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, is both king and priest. Isn't it interesting that he's king and he's priest and he brings forth bread and wine? Anybody knows anything about the bread? The priest, the administrator, of the sacrificial covenant. The priest, the one who administers the sacrifice. The priest who was also king. Where else do you see in the Bible a priest who's a king? Um, Abraham encounters this priest king and he gives a tithe to this priest king and he has communion with this priest king and yet we'll learn later on in the book of Hebrews that this priest king was Christ himself that Christ is the priest king Melchizedek is Christ. And this Christ performs a communion ceremony with Abraham. He brings the bread and the wine. And so that's all to say and upon Abraham's victory, he has an encounter with Christ. And in chapter 15, and I'm done, I'm done. And in chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. After this, this communion ceremony that he has, um, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your exceedingly great reward. God is about to now institute his blessings upon them, upon him, and upon his posterity, generations after generations after generations after generations. And he says to him, Of all the blessings, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. God is our reward. Christ is our reward. Jesus is our reward. Yeshua is our reward. It's not the house. It's not the money. It's not the car. It's not the title. It's not any of that. He is our reward. 
for many of us, that's not our conviction. We want Jesus and things. We want Jesus and a car. We want Jesus and a house. We want Jesus and a good marriage. We want Jesus and a great career. Like we're happy with Jesus and things. But what if Jesus is enough? And Jesus is enough. And until Jesus becomes enough, then nothing else really matters. God opens up by telling Abram in that vision, I am your reward. The reward is Jesus, family. The reward is Jesus. Jesus is enough. Father, we thank you for this time and Lord, allowing us to come together and to just share time together. Father, I just ask that you would continue to encourage us, Lord, build us up in faith. Give us the grace, Lord, to seek you, to know that you are our reward, to step out of temporary situations. Lord, to not make temporary situations permanent, to know in the end, Lord, that you are our just reward. Bless us, Lord. Engage us throughout this day, Lord. Give us reminders throughout everything we do today, Lord, that you are with us. You never leave us, nor do you forsake us, that that we tabernacle with you, Lord, in everything we do. We ask that.